0: We've been studying 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, you can open your word there. Uh, we've been looking at the first three verses. This morning I want us to move at least two more words uh, in this text as we continue to think about having this love that's from God. Let me read the first seven verses. First Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels... But do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. Is not jealous. Love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. You can see in uh, that text. We're we're getting to the place of this chapter where we're getting into the virtues of love, and I want us to think th- about that this morning, just the general concept of loving God through virtue. You see in verse four, the virtue of patience or kindness, etc., and to think about that. I remember uh, going to um, the mall here, and um, uh, we were in Belk uh, store, I think, and. Uh, An older couple came in buying pillows. They were looking to buy a pillow anyway. They couldn't miss him because he's taller than me and had on a a big uh, wide brim hat that says, I am forgiven. I thought, well, that's cool. You know, this is a Christian. And he's in here buying pillows with his wife. But they were fussing at each other. I don't want that. You want that? I don't want that. You know, that's too hard. That's too soft. You know, just going back and forth and I thought... Good grief! You're 70 years old and forgiven, and it can't be a little nicer than this. Goodness, you know. I thought if, if I, I said maybe somebody gave him the hat. You know, it's (laughs) if he's really a Christian, he should love his wife better. She should love him better than they were um, taken off on each other, and not. So, man, you don't want to get to be uh, seventy years old, and it's not any sweeter than that. Um, so, how do we show virtue in our love? How do we have a better love? Um, we we don't need to miss the obvious. It reminded me of a story of Sherlock Holmes and uh, Doctor Watson. Um, Watson said to Holmes one morning they were out camping, and uh, he. Uh, Punched Sherlock and said, Sherlock, look up and tell me what you see. Sherlock looks up and says, I see millions and millions of stars. Watson said, well, what does that tell you? And Sherlock says, well, astronomically, it tells me that there's millions of galaxies, probably billions of planets. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and we're insignificant in his sight, Probably. He says, uh, "The way the stars are arranged, it tells me it's about three fifteen in the morning. Meteorologically, it tells me we're going to have a pretty good day." Watson finally says, "Holmes, you knucklehead! If you can see the stars, it tells you that while we were sleeping, somebody stole our tent." Sometimes we can get so smart, we miss the obvious. And when you read this passage, we get hung up sometimes on performance. We read about somebody who can speak the tongues of men and angels, somebody who has faith to move mountains, somebody who can speak prophecy and all mysteries and all knowledge. And many times we think performance rules. That if somebody can do all of that, certainly they are the best of society. And God repeatedly says, no, it's not true. You're missing the obvious. Without love, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's not performance that rules. It's love that rules. So how do we obtain that kind of love? And then how do we maintain that kind of love. And that's what I want us to think about is what is the chief characteristic of this godly love that's being described here. Um, godly virtue. And I threw in the word godly just to say there's an imitation out there. And obviously this couple at the mall, maybe they had an imitation. I don't think they really had the real thing. We define virtue typically as... Uh, just high moral qualities, like patience or kindness. But I, don't, I, I want to just back up a little bit. Look at t- the first two words of verse 4. Love is. Now think about that for a minute. Love is, and then you've got this list of virtues. Which means these virtues flow out of or through love. Love. They don't exist without love. That's been his point. Without love, you're nothing. And then we're going to move to these virtues. We have to understand this divine love that he's been describing, you're not going to have those virtues without love. Because love is these things. These things sum up the love that God is describing here. So how does one get these virtues like patience or kindness? You would think that you could just develop them, because that's what many people try to teach their kids. You want to teach your child to be patient. You want to teach your child to be kind. And so you come up with rules. You come up with some sort of structure, some sort of order, how you do things at home. He says, that's not the way you treat your brother. That's not the way you treat your sister. Here's the rules so that you do it in a patient, kind manner. And what we end up doing is teaching Performance it's like you missed the obvious getting our children to perform in a patient way or in a kind way yet not with love still nothing love has to be central to all of this and we sometimes just miss it look at uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 and 8 again 1 John 4 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Notice this. Love is from God. The love we're talking about is a divinely sourced love. It's from God. Everyone who loves is born of God, so born again as a Christian, knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. We have to see that love is from God. If we're looking for virtue through a program that we can teach, we're looking for virtue in all the wrong places. Just like the one who looks for love in all the wrong places. We're missing the obvious. Virtue is not developed through our programs. It's what flows out of love. If we get love right, we're going to get these virtues. Love is patient. We're going to get it. But many times we focus on the virtues, on the performance, and we miss the love. Now, if you're following me, tracking with me, love is from God. You have to have God in your life to have the love we're describing. So you have to have God in your life to have these virtues. Then... Only Christians have these virtues. And you're saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. That seems inconsistent with my experience. I know some really nice people that are not Christians. And they've got some pretty good virtues, like patience and kindness. So how do we square that? What's what's really going on? And as I've wrestled with, with the terminology in the text... What helps me is the parable that Jesus shared in Luke 8. Uh, So it's the parable of the, the soils. Let's look at it for a minute. Luke chapter 8. It's a great description of humanity. Luke 8, beginning at verse 4. When a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. The other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. <coughs> by the way, it's the, it's the worst Sunday in the world to have a sinus cold. Everybody thinks I have something, something else, I guess. Verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop. A hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 11, now this parable is this, he begins to explain it. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard And as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, he gave us four responses to the word of God. Says the word of God is like a sower. He just throws out the seed. And as he's casting this seed, you know, some of it falls in good soil, thorny soil, rocky soil, etc. But there's only two groups of people, really. It's the fruit-bearing group and the non-fruit-bearing group. Because the first three groups, he says, they don't bear fruit to maturity. It's only that fourth group that heard the word that bears fruit. And I'm trying to get us to think about the fruit of love is. The fruit from God is. You've seen people in life that you say, Man, I, I used to remember when they were so sweet and so kind. What happened? And here's a parable that's saying, Well, I'll tell you what happened. They sprung up, they believed for a while. And they sprung up with lots of joy and excitement. And then they fell away. The Word of God wasn't planted in them. And you see people at different phases of life. You see people that are excited about the Word of God and Christ just for a little while. And then you see people that are excited for years. And then you see people who are excited, it seems like, for a lifetime. But the fruit doesn't come to maturity. And you wonder, you know, What's what's with that? And God is telling us, what's with that is the word of God's not firmly planted and bearing fruit. The virtues and imitation, it's it's not there genuinely. It's a good show, but it's a good imitation. But it's not the genuine article, and that's what we need to understand to to understand humanity, humanity. When I say only Christians can have the virtues of God's love, I mean unto maturity and unto the fruitfulness, unto old age, unto heaven, is what I'm talking about. And there is a difference. So when you get into the presence of a genuine believer who has the Word of God planted in their heart, you're going to start seeing this is somebody that is fun to be around. They're so patient. They're so kind. You go through the virtues. I'm sorry, I touched my face. No, I'm not supposed to do that. I'll wash my hands before I touch yours. How about that? Um, But a lot of times we we don't take this as seriously as as it's presented to us. Without love, you're nothing. God's going to take us, his believers, to glory in heaven because he's making us something he's conforming us to the image of Christ but there are plenty of people who imitate us that are nothing they really don't have this love and you'll see they don't have the word of God planted they're not seeking to bear fruit for God their source their motivation their goal is not God They're doing a program, they're performing well, and they're missing the obvious, that performance does not make them what they need to be. It's only God and God's love. We must see the chief characteristic about godly virtue is that it flows out of the love of God. If you want the godly virtues, you must have the love of God first, foremost. So let me just take this back to, to uh, the child training uh, illustration I gave you about we create a program or develop a, a plan or rules so our son acts right with our daughter, and vice versa. Our real goal in parenting should not be to develop this program, this plan, these rules. But it should be to be sharing the gospel with our kids every day. We should be sharing with them every day the love of God because this fruit comes out of the love of God. They need to know every day they are loved by you and by God. They need to know the, understand the importance of the love of God. So many times all they, they get is the rules. And they haven't heard of the love of God flowing out of the Word of God. So if that's the chief characteristic of virtue, that's what we should be chiefly giving. I've told that to parents over and over. What way are you sharing the gospel with your kids every day? Don't let them go to bed without hearing again. They need to trust the God-man Jesus. He saves their life. They need to know Christ. They need to know their Redeemer. They need to know their Creator. And how much he loves them and cares for them. Because out of the love of God, everything else you want as a parent is going to flow. But we often miss that. Now, I want to see another thing here in the Word of God. Not only the chief characteristic of this godly virtue is that it's love, and it's love from God. But I want you to see the church and godly virtue. Think about that for a minute. Why even bring up church when dealing with virtue? The reason is because God loves his people. And if God loves his people, what I'm saying is God deposits his love in his people. He deposits virtue in us. If you want to be virtuous, you need to be around virtue. And it's chiefly in God's people. That's where he puts it. Let me show it to you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. 1 John is just so filled with love. It's a great, great book on, on that subject. And I don't think we'll exhaust it. 1 John 4, again, verse 12. No one is seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. Think about that. God's love is perfected. In us. There's something happening in the group, in the room, in us. Love is being perfected. Don't go individualistic on me here. He's talking about us. God loves his people. And as we are together, there's a sense in which this love is Perfected. We're going to see it more and more in that chapter. But just think about that for a minute how this this love is there. Let me just keep going. Let's skip over to verse 16. We've come to know that we believe the love which God has for us. Again, see the emphasis on us and we all the way through this. God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this love, is perfected, again, with us. We're seeing it twice now. Love is being perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out corona fear. It does. We are loved by God. We're taken care of by God. Us, we together, we get a sense of that together better than we would get on our own, and it's going to cast out our fear, because fear involves punishment. We're not being punished. God loves us, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Wow. So, if you are afraid that God might be punishing you, you're not one of his and you're missing the perfection of virtue. Love is not being perfected in that group. Love is being perfected. Virtue is growing, it's happening in those that are loved by God and love Him. Verse 21, 20 if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Again, you see the emphasis on we come together and don't, God says, don't lie here. When you come together, you love one another. That's what you do. That's who we are. We are lovers of one another those that God has redeemed. And because we are loving one another, we're sharpening one another. The gifts of the Spirit are being used in the body. And all of that is perfecting love in us and with us. You know, there's certain things that grow best in a greenhouse, right? Or you can grow things in a greenhouse when you can't grow them anywhere else. See, the church is like that. We're God's greenhouse. He is Loving us and then perfecting us through one another, being together and loving one another. There's a sense in which we we greatly underestimate the value of church. By church, I mean the assembly of the saints, the body of Christ, coming together. God says, "I've given you gifts." That you are not supposed to selfishly employ. You're supposed to use your spiritual gifts for the benefit of the body of Christ. And as you use your gifts, they use their gifts towards you. And together we're perfected in love. That's how you grow virtue. We get it through God and God's love. We grow it, really, through the church. If say, Well, my child is is a believer, and he needs to learn virtue. Okay. Then never take church as optional, because he's going to be perfected in this arena with the church. Perfection comes in love. And when we don't understand the church or act like the church or get in the church, those virtues don't happen. They don't grow as they should. It's perfected in us. We're in a society that just constantly makes the church um, just an option. You wake up. What are you going to do today? Can't go to church. Too many people. Guess I'll go to Walmart. I'm like, "Uh, I don't get that. Or let's just go out to eat or something. There's a lot of people going to be doing that today. No, you're teaching your kids that church is optional. Or, what are we doing? Well, we're not going to church today because, you know, your brother's in a basketball tournament. That's where we're going. Not going to church today because we got a soccer tournament. Not going to church today because we're on vacation. I mean, you, you go through the list of times you, you've you discounted church, and you're communicating to your kids, oh, church is not really that necessary. It's It's optional. We wake up and decide whether that's the option we're gonna pick or not. And God says, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how you raise your kids. They are perfected in us. We must be together. Which is why that, that that verse in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, you know it, it's so popular. It's so much needed. Let me read it. Hebrews 10. 24, 25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Remember that part, right? Not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some. But encouraging and all the more as you see the day draw near. They were having... Hebrews, I think, was written just prior to 70 A.D. They were thinking about Roman destruction of Jerusalem. They were thinking about Roman destruction of the Christian Jews. They were thinking about terrible persecution. Uh, Nero was blaming them for burning uh, Rome, and they say, "You see this tough, tough stuff happening to us? It's a pandemic in the Empire of Rome." It says. This is not a time for social isolation where we just get in a cave somewhere and hold up. This is a time we get in church and we encourage one another and we love one another because that's where we're going to be perfected and strengthened. That's where we're going to learn patience and kindness, how to give ourselves to consider others more important than ourselves. The value of the church. So if love comes only from God and virtue is, love is, is in love, then we need to be seeking God fervently. If love is perfected through the church and the gifts of the body, we need to make sure we are not forsaking the assembly. I know I'm in a crisis moment we may not be here next week who knows but you get what I'm saying And the value of the church that when we can meet we need to meet when we can't we won't but when we can we should and then see that virtue is not only going to come through the church and through God's love it's going to come as we maintain the same standard you don't have any virtue without a standard you have to have a standard there has to be a right or wrong there has to, or you can't define virtue. If, if patience is something, it has to be defined. Uh, there needs to be some right and wrong standard. Our right and wrong standard is God's Word. Um, 1 John chapter 5, again, pulling from there, verse 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments, they're not burdensome. I won't go into all of it, but what he be- teaches us is that the commands of God, they are our delight. They they don't earn us anything. This is the way we express our love back to God by doing life the way he, he wants it. He likes it. He commands it. So as lovers of God, we delight in his commands and love his commands and keep his commands. And that gives us the standard that we need for... Uh, our virtues. Romans chapter 13, verse 10, one other passage. says this, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of law, the law. Love has this a power and ability to, to not wrong people. And the reason is because there's a standard, and we keep God's standard, and that standard teaches us to love one another, to not um, go against one another. Again, our society says, no, 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 what we need to do is just be good performers. Our performance of our society, uh, or uh, seems like the motto of our society is, character doesn't matter, performance does. You saw that with our presidential election last time. So many of us were concerned that all of the candidates were just morally bankrupt. Then one of them gets elected and still morally bankrupt until he starts performing. And then it's like, performance rules. We like performance. And we quit thinking about character. When character is still important. The only way of character is to have the commands of God. Be your delight. Be what you love as you love God. Um, without commands, there's, there's really no virtue. Um, I, I've mentioned this before. I hate, I hate uh, the Outback. I like Outback as a restaurant. And I might go there sometime soon. But uh, I hate their motto. Uh, no rules, just right. That's crazy. And they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, they don't even see their own inconsistencies. I like my steak medium-rare. How do you cook a medium-rare steak with no rules? If there's no rules, there's no medium. There's no rare. To cook a medium-rare steak, I looked it up, it needs to go up to 130 degrees and then you stop. And let it rest three minutes, you let it rest a little bit longer, it's going to cook more. You serve it up. You know, it's going to have a warm, red center. That's the way I want it. You have to have rules to get there. You have to have a standard. And the same is true for every virtue. There must be a standard of right and wrong, or there is no virtue. It's whatever you want to do. And if you perform, people say, oh, that's That's what I needed is performance. And they throw the virtue right out. Christians are better lovers because we have a distinct, holy, beautiful, perfect standard which we maintain, which we delight in, which we follow, and that commands, the commands of God direct us to conformity to God. They're His delight, His pleasure. you know, I sometimes ask couples, you know, what, what's your goal in marriage? What's your primary primary thing you're shooting for? You know, and there's lots of answers. But what I'm trying to get them to is, say, well, what if you made your primary goal to be conformed to the image of Christ? And what if you made your primary goal for your spouse to help him or her, however they want, to be conformed to the image of Christ. In other words, what if your goal was the same goal as God's? Romans 8, 29 says, He predestined us in love so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And what if you made that your goal? So you got the husband here and the wife here, and but the goal is to be like Christ. You're not trying to get your spouse to be like you or follow your desires, but you want them to be like Christ, and you want to be like Christ. So if Christ is the center of your relationship, if Christ is your all in all, the more the closer you get to Christ, the closer your spouse gets to Christ, the closer you get together. And the more you're conformed to Christ, the more virtue. Christ is love. Love is love. The more you're like Christ, the more patient, the more kind, the more wise, the more faithful, the more giving, which is why when you see genuine Christian marriages, they tell you over and over and over, it's just getting better and better and better because we're being conformed to the image of Christ, and I didn't believe it, but my wife's becoming more and more beautiful, and Mm -hmm. her husband's becoming more and more beautiful because they're becoming like the perfect Christ, How does that happen? Because there's conformity to a standard. The standard is Christ and his commands. It's wonderful. That's loving well through godly virtue. Greatly distinct from the rest of the world. You want to obtain it? It's from God. It's God's love. So don't run from God. Fervently seek him. How do we grow it? Don't forsake the church. How do we mature it with the commands of God? Well, you see the couple at Belk and they're buying pillows. But this time you see them to be genuine lovers. There's a sweetness. There's a virtue in their old age. What do you see when you see genuine love? Well, if you were to ask Sherlock, Sherlock might say, well, genetically, I think they were made for one another. Sociologically, I think they've learned the rules how to talk, communicate. Psychologically, they must have the right balance between his needs and her needs. And about that time, Watson needs to hit Holmes over the head again and say, You knucklehead. The reason they love one another so well is because God is in their life. God is the source of their love. They have the same goal to be conformed to Christ, and that's happening, and you see it in them. And they don't forsake the assembly of the saints. The whole body of Christ is encouraging them to be like Christ. Don't miss the obvious. It's radically different than what the world has to offer. What a blessing we get it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love of Christ departed to us. Lord, we're not just a group of people that are getting polished to be the best of humanity. But we are becoming the children of God. How great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Doesn't always appear, but when we see Jesus, we will be like him. Hallelujah. Father, continue to conform us more and more to your image. Help us to see what your love really is. Let's get a grip on it. Let us manifest it. May the world start looking in and saying, Behold how they love one another. May they see a love of a divine source it really is different. Father, may we show that. Forgive us where we've just bought the performance model of the world and been missing the truth of your word. Draw us to it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.